Hi, I'm Alison Adarin and I'm coming to you with the Get Real, Get Happy podcast, uh, looking to share my journey and experiences of trying to eternally pursue the happy path in life. Hi guys, welcome back. Um, I'm coming to you with Get Real, Get Happy podcast again this week, talking about all things related to mental health and well-being. Um, and thank you for coming back. This is my third podcast now, and I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to talking to you tonight about the content of my blog this week, which will be released on Monday on alisonaderin.com, The Happy Path, where, again, I talk about all things related to mental health with a speckling of poetry alongside, just in case you wanted something a little bit different. But tonight, I wanted to speak to you about something I've been thinking about an awful lot this week. Um, I came across a post on Instagram this week from one of the many life coaches that I follow saying that it was just making a statement really that in terms of our lives 10% of it is what happens to us and 90% is how we choose to react and at first I was kind of a bit taken back by it I'm sure it was the response they were hoping for because I was thinking crikey really you think 90% of it is how we react to it that much that seemed like a really high number But it just got me thinking and it got me thinking an awful lot about how that balance plays out in my life, how much of my life are the things that happen to me and how much of it is how I choose to respond. And again, often in my reflections, I end up starting at the beginning. It's generally a very good place to start. And I think back to those days when I was a kid um, and kind of having a bit of an unconventional start to life. If there is a conventional one, that is. I've not met anybody who's had the two same starts before. But in terms of what was going on for me, um, my mum was really, really ill, really seriously ill with a number of mental health problems. Um, And that led to a number of challenges. So um, a lot of suicide attempts on my mum's part. Um, also, though, unfortunately, um, with her manic depression and bipolar, as it's now referred to, um, at some of her most difficult points, she actually tried to take mine and my sister's life. So um, a lot of complexity there. Or also living in a home environment that in terms of the other support from my father wasn't really that stable at the time. Um, and definitely had some amazing older siblings, but they, there was quite a big gap um, between them and myself and my little sister. So I think probably didn't really make much of a difference in terms of that stability on the home environment. And as a result of, of a lot of those factors and other things going on, ended up in care. And throughout all of this, you know, I think about um, how my neighbours would react to my response to what was going on at the time. And I used to get statements um, of some of the neighbours like, oh, if anything happens, Alison can deal with it. If anything comes up, Alison can deal with it. Because I think even for somebody at the time who was just eight or nine years old, I definitely already kind of built up that resilience and that kind of what I'd say was probably a sensible response. So when things did come up or did arise, you know, I took a lot of accountability for myself and my little sister's well-being 
Um, I was definitely already cooking meals for us and doing some other things by the age of eight or nine. And um, part of one of the reasons we went into care was actually the position that I had kind of taken on in terms of caring for my younger sister um, and a sense that that wasn't something that I should have to have full responsibility for at that age, along with everything else that was going on. And again, then, even as I worked kind of through the years in care um, and being in school, when I moved up to high school, because I was already in care at that point, I remember the kind of astonishment from teachers quite often when they found out that I was a foster kid. Uh, and they'd often be surprised and a bit taken back and, and they'd make statements and say things like, but she's so well-rounded and she's such a high achiever. And and they kind of make statements about like, how, how could that be possible with everything else that would be going on? Because they were well aware of a lot of the things. There was court orders and kind of um, prohibited steps orders. So my mum couldn't come within certain distances of school and things like that. So they all kind of got made aware of it in one way, shape or another. But that, then it got me thinking because I suppose I have I have felt at times that I've stood out a bit maybe as not your classic foster kid. Um, I definitely did work really hard in school. Um, and I suppose despite what I had been through as a kid, that hadn't tainted my response to uh, school or parental figures or or those around me in authority, which I think can for some people be a very natural thing to happen. I mean, when you're in that position as a child, that the two kind of people in the world who absolutely above anyone should be there to protect you and look after you, uh, and they're actually the people that are endangering you most, it's very easy to lose all confidence then in any type of adult figures. And I think for a lot of kids that struggle for different reasons um, as they're growing up, that often then results in a change around how they respond to people in those positions. Um, and for me, I suppose I, I learned quite young that actually I wasn't going to get the outcome that I wanted if I went down that path. And I remember I quite often be ending up like as a 10-year-old kid having arguments with social workers about how at the time they wouldn't let us into any of the meetings that they were having about us and and kind of stamping my foot down saying you shouldn't be having a, a care meeting when I'm not there and it's about me. So at the time, like they reluctantly let me in, I'd say probably for about 80% of the sessions and then would kick me out for one or two bits where obviously they didn't want me to hear whatever it was they were saying. But I think I really, from a young age, took a lot of accountability and actually as well, I kind of learned quite quickly that whole kind of like a low amount of what I wanted my life to be. I wanted to be about what happened to me. I didn't want it to be about what happened to me. I wanted my life to be about what I could make of it, you know, be it good, be it bad, um, be it meeting a goal I had or not. I wanted it to be about that. I, I suppose oh, maybe it was a bit of a reluctance to accept that the bad things that were happening were happening I'm not sure at the time it felt like that though because I always made sure I was well aware of kind of what was going on um, and as much as possible used my power as a young person to influence the outcome of any of the situations you know so I don't think 
it was about me shying away or being in denial. I, I think it was just a bit about I, I wanted a piece of something. There was so much going on that I couldn't control. I just couldn't try as hard as I might. And God damn, did I try at times to try and make my mum well or make her better or make it so that I I wasn't a cause of her being ill again, you know, and all those kind of things. And I think I just wanted to go, well, no, you know, all this stuff can happen, but there is still something I can control. And that's how I respond to it and what I do about it and how I behave and how I face into the world and, you know, what I've got to say about it. So I think from quite early on, I probably did naturally for me fall into that realm of life being only a very small margin about what was going on. And actually, for the majority of it, it being about how I wanted to respond to the world. And it got me thinking then inevitably about some of the other people I've known or know now who struggle with their mental health. And I suppose for me, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because I've I've been there um, when I had the PTSD and was suffering with it quite bad. You know, those anxiety attacks or panic attacks which I didn't even know that's what they were at the time they felt uncontrollable they they absolutely felt like there there was no amount of thinking my way out of them or around them um there was no amount of me changing my circumstances or the, my surroundings or or anything to address them it, it felt like I was totally out of control and try as I might there was very little I could do about it. And I think it was probably, again, that realisation for me and part of the recovery for me from the PTSD has been about kind of owning and starting to feel comfortable again with that idea that I can own, I can own the majority of how I respond to life and the world around me. And it's not always an easy path and there's not always a quick fix but I can certainly choose to try and max out how much of my life is my response rather than how much of my life are the things that happen. And you can't change the things that happen. You just can't. They are what they are. But I think you can change how much of it is about your response and how much of the focus is on what's happened. I think it's really important for anybody listening to the podcast out there again at the moment just to try and highlight how difficult mental health challenges can be and how very real they are for people you know if you look at brain scans of somebody with PTSD there are physical changes in the structure and responses of the brain as a result of post-traumatic stress disorder that that show a physical change in the response of your body to situations if you have or aren't suffering with that. If you look at the brain scans of somebody with schizophrenia, you will see the same responses in the brain scan of somebody who can hear a voice that nobody else can hear to somebody else who is actually hearing somebody speak to them. How astonishing is that? That's mad to think, isn't it? That that their brain is processing that information they're getting in exactly the same way we do when we hear somebody speak to us that's that's how real it is for somebody in that position and if you look at people with depression you know that the chemicals in their body can can be not always but can be very different to somebody who's got 
a kind of healthier well-being. And I always find it kind of interesting that we talk about physical and mental health. And certainly for my life, it's felt like those two things are separate things. You have physical health over here, you have mental health over here. Uh, and it's not. They are all one and the same thing in my view now. You know, they all relate to each other and they can all have an impact on each other and they're all connected to each other. And I, I almost just find myself more and more uncomfortable with defining them into two separate distinct boxes in that way. Maybe there's more boxes out there. If somebody can educate me, always happy to learn. But I think it got me thinking then about in terms of our well-being and how we respond when we are struggling with mental health. I think if we can all acknowledge, right, those numbers don't have to be right. Maybe your life is 99% what happens to you and 1% how you respond, just 1%, maybe it's tiny. Uh, and if that is the case, you know, there's nothing wrong with you for that. That's the way that you have learned to communicate with and exist within your world and your environment. But if we just accept that for every single human being in the world, at least 1%, at least 1% is how you respond to something, not what happens to you. And then it got me thinking, okay, is that number going to be similar for everybody or is it going to be very different? I feel like I'm normally, normally quite a high level of response and a low level of what's happened. So I reckon I'm 80% how I respond to the world, 20% what's happened to me. So quite big on the response. And I definitely think that I've, I must ask more people this when I get into conversations with them around mental well-being. I, I think there are people that are probably at the other end of the scale. Uh, and actually, they're in a place at the moment, or they generally have been within their lives, where they feel like a lot of what they live and their experience is about what's done to them. And maybe they don't feel they're in much of a position of power to kind of have much of a balance in terms of how they respond. Maybe they feel like they don't have a choice in terms of how they respond. So it's all a lot of what's being done to them. So maybe they're like 70, 90 percent what happens, what's done to them, what what kind of challenges they have, uh, and only a very small portion. But again, if we just accept them, this number is going to be different for everyone. So we have to acknowledge that all of us have at least 8%, and we have to acknowledge that it's different for everyone. So then it got me thinking, okay, if it's different for everyone and it's not a constant, it's not all human beings are 50-50, then it can probably change. And I started thinking about, you know, you have those days where you just wake up and I don't know, you stub your toe, you spill a cup of tea, you've got a flat tire. It just feels like the world is against you. And I've so been there when it's just like, oh, my God, I want to go back to bed. And I think, actually, on those days, it's not what's happening. It's not the sequence of events that I've managed to stub my toe and spill my cup of tea and get a flat tire. It's about I'm in the mindset that day where for whatever reason, I'm 80% what's happening to me. I am only a very small percent how I'm responding to it. That balance just goes out the window for me. So then I got thinking, OK, so we've all got a small percentage of our experiences about how we respond and not what happens to us. It's different for all of us. 
and it can be different for each of us at different times, different periods in our lives, different days of the week, um, just different experiences or challenges, you know, it'd be different. So then it starts to feel really fluid. And I was thinking, oh my God, great, okay. So actually then we can probably change it, can't we? We can probably look for tools and approaches that allow us to be more about our response to the world and less about what happens to us. And again, kind of bringing it full circle back to the beginning. It got me thinking about when I was a kid, what were those things then that were empowering me? Because nobody was coming to me and offering me this power. Nobody was saying to me, you know, as a nine, 10 year old, hey, Alison, do you want to come and sit around a table with some police officers and social workers and, and school representatives and a few others and have a conversation about your well-being and what's going on in your world and how to manage it? I was muscling my way in there. <laughs> I was arguing with people till I was blue in the face. It was like a human rights thing. I was probably talking complete nonsense at them. So goodness knows um, how they let me get away with it. But bless them, they did. You know, and I wasn't in terms of what was going on with my mum. I wasn't kind of feeling at times I was angry. At times I was upset. At times I was worried. I'm sure I had every emotion going. But overall, generally, you know, I was probably people would find it surprising that I could forgive her for that. People still find it surprising now that I forgave her for it. But mum was a very complex person. And as much as she had those moments where, you know, thankfully, uh, above all else, she didn't manage to succeed in her goal and I was still here. She also had moments where she was a complete and utter saint. And, you know, that those saintly moments didn't make the moments where she struggled any better. But in the same way, then, that the moments that she struggled didn't make her saintly moments any yeah, less amazing and beautiful uh, and shiny you know and again I think that was part of my only my response to what was going on I could have let that drive a lot more anger and hurt and upset into my life as a young person uh, and I didn't but there was definitely then times throughout when I was growing up when probably I did fall into that it was more about what was happening to me. So I remember a time when I was bullied quite a lot um, when I was younger. I had went through really, really bad extreme isolation bullying. And that was probably one of those times where I fell into a mindset of thinking and, and just feeling, feeling everything that was happening to me and struggling with that ability to respond. Because again, I think at points, I felt like I had exhausted all my options and that there was no other apparent exit or way out or thing I could do about it. I tried and tried and failed and failed. And eventually, I suppose I, I didn't fail because I did find a way out. It wouldn't have been my ideal goal. I left school before I finished my A-level. So some people may see that as a bit of a cop-out. But it allowed me that space to move on. And start growing again um, in a much healthier and better environment. So, again, having tried to address it in a number of ways, it probably was a sensible step to take. But I definitely say 
in reflection and hindsight, throughout that period I was still in school and being bullied. If I could go back now, I would own it a lot more. I'd, I kind of say, you know, I, I'm just going to get on with life and I'm going to get on with the things I want to do and I enjoy. Uh, and if this other thing that's happening is something that I can't change, I'm not going to let it impact all the other things in, in such an extreme way that it did at the time. But I think I suppose I'd just say for tonight, to take away for you, have a think about where you think you are on the balance. You know, at the moment, where you are today, are you more about what happens to you or are you more about how you respond to it? Where where have you been when you've been at the best in your life, you know? When you've been feeling really good and doing really well, has that always been because everything's just going great for you? Or actually, has it been because for whatever reason, you've been able to own the conversation and your communication with the world and your life that says, actually, no, that this is going to be about me and how I choose to respond. And I suppose just have a think about that. And in terms of if you buy into my logic of this number can change for all of us on a daily basis, what kind of things could you do to empower you to feel more at that point of balance of it's about how you respond um, but yeah, I hope you're all well. Um, I'll be back again to speak to you next week. Um, and if you find any tips or things that work really well for you in terms of addressing this balance of what happens to us and how we respond to it, I'd love to hear about them. But otherwise, I'll say goodnight. Bye for now.